Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by your hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nation, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things that I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the, of the Lord. Over the last month, we've been hearing about some of the amazing things that are being explored right now in space. You remember that we talked about the Mars lander, InSight, how it's now landed on Mars and it's begun to send back information here to Earth. We're getting to see pictures and images, videos of things that we have never seen before on Mars. It's incredible the things that it's sending back. The first sounds that we've ever heard from the planet, the sound of wind. When you think about this and being able to land a spacecraft on the planet Mars, it's amazing to think about how much it took to make that happen. That's not something that just happens overnight. This has been years, decades in the making. We've talked about how this next year, in July of 2019, we're going to be celebrating the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon. Again, you think about how incredible that was. Something else that didn't just happen overnight, something that was decades, years in the making. It wasn't all that long before they landed on the moon that Orville and Wilbur Wright were just learning how to build and fly an airplane. You think back over just the last five decades, from landing a man on the moon to going and landing on Mars how much we have learned, how much research has been done, how much it's impacted how we live here on earth. It's incredible when you stop and you think about it. But it did take so many people to get to that point. In order to place a man on the moon, you remember it was back in the 50s and the 1960s that the U.S. was in the midst of the Cold War with the Soviet Union and the space race was going on. There was all this fear that was going across the United States at the time Because it was really the Soviets, you remember, who were leading the way in the space race for much of the 50s and the early 60s. They were the first ones to put a satellite in orbit. They would be the first ones to send a man out into space. They were the ones that were really leading the way. And the U.S. was just constantly trying to play catch-up. And there was all this fear across the country about what was going on out in space. Well, it was one man who really helped it turn the tide of this, who's given much of the credit for our space exploration program here in the U.S., and that was John F. Kennedy. You remember, it was whenever he became president back in the early 1960s that the Soviets were so far ahead of us, and so he turned to his vice president, Lyndon Johnson, and he gave him the task of 
finding a way that we could get ahead in the space race? Where was a place that we might have the technology to beat them to something? So Lyndon Johnson began to meet with other scientists and engineers. He began to meet with our people at NASA and with people in the military who were in intelligence. They began to look at what information they had about what the Soviets were doing and to look at what we were working on. And what they finally came back to Kennedy with is they said, we believe that the best opportunity that we have to beat them to something in space is landing a man on the moon. And so Kennedy made it priority number one that we would land a man on the moon and bring him back safely within that decade. Well, now it became Kennedy's responsibility to begin trying to raise public support, to try to secure the funding for all of the research that it was going to take and the exploration to do the Apollo program. Kennedy began going around and starting in the 1961, he started trying to raise the funding and the public support across the U.S., It was in 1962 that he was on one of these tours, and he was down in Houston. He went there to go and visit the offices there and visit with some of the astronauts and engineers. He wanted to learn more about where we were in our space program and what was coming next to try to help inspire them and encourage them in what they were doing. But while he was there in Houston, he made a stop at Rice University to give a speech. It was a hot summer day in 1962. And more than 40,000 people packed the football stadium there at Rice to hear John F. Kennedy speak about sending a man to the moon and what we were doing in our space program. I want to read you just a, a portion of that speech that John F. Kennedy gave. But why, some say, the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win, and the others too. Why go to the moon? Knowing the difficulties that it would pose? Knowing how much it would cost? We didn't go in spite of the difficulties. Kennedy's point was that we were going precisely because it was difficult. Because it would force us to bring out the best in ourselves. The best that God had placed within us as a nation in order to achieve this common goal. As historians have looked back on this speech, they said that it really was one of those pivotal moments in our space program. That it really began to turn the tide for public support. And people were now beginning to come around and see the need for sending a man to the moon. Not despite the difficulties, but because of the difficulties. It would serve to bring out the best in our nation. It united us around this common goal. And it was Kennedy who gave us a new dream as a country a vision for where we could go and what we could do if we all worked together. Here at St. Luke's, we often like to ask the question, wouldn't it be great if, why don't we? And then we begin to fill in the blanks. We love to ask these big kinds of questions to see where is God leading us? 
What kind of dreams does God have for us as we move into the future? Ways that we can be in mission and ministry to the world around us. New opportunities. You know, sometimes when we dream these big dreams, it's amazing to see where God will lead us. What kind of things God can do with us if we're simply willing to follow. As we move into a new year, 2019, I want us to take time to reflect in our own personal lives and ask those kinds of questions. Wouldn't it be great if? Why don't we? Begin to fill in the blanks. Consider where God is leading us in 2019. You read our scripture lesson today. It comes from the prophet Isaiah. It's a part of the the book of Isaiah that's known as the servant songs. There's four of these servant songs. Our scripture comes from the first of them. You'll find them in chapters 42 through 53 in the book of Isaiah. And all of them describe what the prophet Isaiah saw as the servant of God. Now what's interesting is as you read through these, you find all of these different descriptions of the servant. All of the things that the servant was going to do and what it was going to look like. But Isaiah never names who the servant is. It really is kind of left ambiguous and it's up to the reader to interpret and to figure out who you think the the, the servant is. So whenever you read through this, in the time that it was written, many people looked at it and they believed that it wasn't just one person. It was the entire nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was called to be God's servant. And as you read through our scripture today, you see this description of what the nation of Israel was supposed to do. The vision that God had given to them. They were to be a light to the nations. They were to be those who were to go and to offer freedom to people. To give sight to the blind. This was their calling as a nation. But it was after the time of Jesus that the early church began looking back at the Old Testament. and They began looking at the prophet Isaiah and they said... No, we think this is actually not just about the nation of Israel, but it's also about the person, Jesus. That Jesus was the one who came to be God's servant. In fact, if you continue to read some of the other servant songs, you find that it talks about the suffering servant. And it begins to describe much of what we know, the suffering that Jesus went through. As the churches continue to read the scriptures and look at this and interpret, we've also come to realize it's not just about the nation of Israel. It's not just about Jesus. But we also recognize that all of us, as people of faith, are called to be God's servants. We are all called to be those who bring light to the dark places of this world. We are all called to be those who offer freedom. We're called to be those who give sight to the blind. It's an opportunity that we all have to hear a vision, a dream that God has for us. And when you read here in the scripture lesson in verse 9 at the very end, you get to the part where it says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. We come to realize that God is in the business of doing a new thing. God is the one who gives us new dreams and new visions. If we're simply willing to open our eyes to see. Sometimes in life, I think it's easy for us to get stuck in a rut. We get stuck in places that are comfortable for us. We get accustomed to doing the same old things. And we struggle finding a new reality, a new vision. Sometimes we find that the circumstances around us in life have changed. And we struggle adjusting to this new reality. 
but it's God who comes to give us new dreams and new visions if we're willing to be open to it. As we move into 2019, what are the dreams that God has for you next year? Where are the places that God is leading you? This morning, there's two things that I want us to think about. First, I do believe that right now is the perfect time to be dreaming new dreams. So we've just come through Christmas and we prepare for a new year. It was less than a week ago that we came together with our family of faith here at St. Luke's downtown campus and across the metro area to come and celebrate at Christmas Eve. We came to light our candles and to remember that the light of Christ has come into the world, that God has come to be with us. The Christmas message is the incarnation, that we are not alone, God is with us. And it is that gift of God's grace that comes to us at Christmas that gives us a new and fresh beginning each and every day. Every day is an opportunity for us to dream new dreams, to see new possibilities for our lives, and where God might be leading us. I was reading an article recently that was talking about Google. Google has been such an amazing and fascinating company. I mean, you stop and you think about the ways that Google has changed our lives just in the last couple of decades. Any time now that we want to look up a place to go eat, or you want to find some information, or if you want to get directions to go somewhere, or do some research, what's the first thing we do? We often turn to Google. And what they've done creating this search engine where we can find things on the internet, it has transformed the way that we live in everyday life. Well, this article is talking about how the, the, the executives of Google got together with some of the executives of their, their parent company, Alphabet, and they began looking at themselves and their own company and what they were doing. They said when Google started off, their whole goal was to be able to come up with new and innovative technologies that would change the world and how people live each and every day. Eventually, they would come up with their search engine, and that's exactly what it did. It has changed our everyday life. But what they found along the way is that they've become so consumed with this product that they created that all of their time, their energy, their resources were put into developing this thing that was already made now. And they were no longer looking for new opportunities to make a difference in affecting the world and how people live. So they decided that they wanted to get back to their roots And so they created a division within Google that's called the Moonshot Factory. Sometimes it's just called X. The Moonshot Factory was set up to be able to do what they'd originally intended to do at Google. It was to look at the biggest problems that the world faces today and to find creative and innovative solutions to these problems. They put together a whole team of different scientists and engineers and entrepreneurs People who could look at these big problems and challenges that the world faces and come up with new and innovative technology to address these problems. Well, every year now, the Moonshot Factory has been coming up with hundreds of different problems and trying to address those. Many of those never make it out of the idea stage. But every year, a couple of them will begin to come forth. They'll go into what they call the implementation phase or the process phase. And they begin to try to find ways that they can carry out these processes to solve the world's problems. I was reading about one of these that they took on. It was called Project Loon. Project Loon started because as they began to look around the world, they said, you know, there's about a little more than 7 billion people in the world today. 7 billion people on the planet Earth. And they began to look at this and they realized that 
About 4 billion people don't have reliable access to the Internet on a daily basis. And again, you stop and you think about what the Internet has meant to our world. It's changed the way that we relate to one another through social media. It's changed the way that we communicate with each other through email. It's changed our economy and our business. So much of what we do. So you stop and you consider that more than half the world's population doesn't have access to this. And you can see at what a disadvantage that is. What a discrepancy there is in other nations. So they wanted to say, how can we address this? Well, the way that you and I often get internet on our cell phones, for example, is through cell phone towers. These cell phone towers are part of a grid system that all get their information from satellites that are out in space. And it's these cell phone towers that then relay that internet to us and our phones. Well, many places around the world, because of the geography or because of the economy, it's just not feasible to be able to put in the infrastructure of all of the towers and the grids to make this possible. And so they started thinking about this, and they thought, if we can't put in the infrastructure to bring the Internet there, then how else do we get the Internet there? Is there a way that we can float the Internet to them? Rather than having towers that we build, can we float something over these places that sends out the signal? So they started thinking about it. What floats? The first thing that came to mind was a balloon. So they did a very simple test. They took a helium balloon. They put a little microchip on it that had an internet signal that was sent out. They went out into the field and they took their computers with them. They didn't know if they sent this balloon up into the air, would they still be able to get signal from uh, from the computer however high it went. They put the balloons out there. They released them. They started going up into the sky. They began to go out of sight, continued to rise and rise. And what they found is they were still getting a signal. This was a huge step forward for them. They came back to their labs and they began to look at what would it take to build these giant balloons that could last for long periods of time to float over places and send them internet. They began building these balloons that are the size of tennis courts when they're laying on the ground. They look like giant weather balloons. And they put these solar panels on them that are powering computers that are there that send out an internet signal. They went out and they began to release hundreds of these balloons and they put them up to about 70,000 feet in the air. Now to put that into perspective for us, When you and I fly on airplanes, we fly on average between 32 and 40,000 feet in the air. These are at 70,000 feet, more than twice the height. Well, they put these up there into the stratosphere, and what they found is that when they get that high, they can raise or lower them to different places in the jet stream, and the wind can carry it in different directions. They've learned that they can float these balloons to any spot around the world to deliver Internet access. We've already begun to see the ways that it's making a difference. Just last year in 2017, there were some major flooding and land, uh, mudslides that were going on in Peru. Tens of thousands of people lost their homes. When that happened, many of these places were in the mountains or in the jungles, places where they didn't have the in- infrastructure for Internet. And so it was Project Loon that, that stepped in, and they sent their balloons there. And they delivered Wi-Fi to them so that they could now begin to communicate and share with others what the needs were, where the resources were needed and the medical help was needed. It helped them as they began to rebuild their community so much faster. It was shortly after that that Hurricane Maria struck Puerto Rico. And again, it was Project Loon that stepped in from the Moonshot factory, and they sent their balloons to Puerto Rico. And this place where more than 200,000 people had been affected by this hurricane, where homes had been destroyed, 
electricity and internet had been wiped out. Now all of a sudden people had access to the internet. They could communicate with their loved ones and let them know that they were okay. They could share with others what their needs were and where the resources could best help. And what helped them is they began to try to rebuild their lives in their community on that island of Puerto Rico. Well, the Moonshot Factory is already doing amazing things to affect millions of lives around the world. And it all started because Google was willing to get outside of their comfort zone. They were willing to dream a new dream. To not just do what they were familiar with or what was comfortable for them, but to find new opportunities to make a difference in the world around them. I believe that when you and I take the time to ask those big questions of wouldn't it be great if and why don't we, God can begin to use us to be a blessing in the world around us. We begin to see a new dream for our lives. And because of the gift of Christmas and the gift of God's grace, we find that each and every day is a new beginning, an opportunity to see the new vision that God gives us. And so second, I think sometimes whenever we look at these big dreams, these moonshot ideas, they can become daunting. They can become so overwhelming as we try to solve these big problems. And sometimes we give up before we ever get started because we just don't even know where to begin. I think the best place to begin is just by taking the first step. Sometimes in life we don't get all of the answers. We don't get the whole picture of our dream. Sometimes we just have the first step. And that's all that we need. We don't have to have all of the answers. We can trust in God for that. Remember, we've said that trust is what faith is all about. When we're willing to trust in God, God is the one who takes us by the hand. I love how it says that there in our scripture today. Verse 6. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I love that imagery, that it is God who takes us by the hand and leads us through that journey of life one step at a time as we seek to follow the dreams that God has given to us. Earlier this year, back in the summer, I was talking with a friend of mine, a member of our family of faith. and He's a pilot for Southwest Airlines. He also has his own private plane and just enjoys as a hobby getting to fly around. We began talking about it and I told him I didn't really know a whole lot about flying or airplanes. And so he and I would enjoy just from time to time visiting about this. And he would share with me about the things that he was doing and where he was flying to. And I just enjoyed learning from him. Well, I told him that I had never been in an airplane like his before, a small airplane. I'd only been in the big commercial airplanes. And so we, we talked about it, and he invited me to come and take a flight with him. So we made arrangements one day, and we were, made the decision we were going to fly up to Ponca City and go have lunch at a little Mexican restaurant that's there at the airport. Well, the day came, and he picked me up. He took me up to the airport where he keeps his plane. We got there, and, and he began teaching me all about his airplane, this Mooney Aircraft. He began showing me the things that make it different from other airplanes. As we began looking at this, he was teaching me about what they call the walk-around or the pre-flight checklist. There's all these things that they go around the plane and they look at before they get in and begin flying to make sure that everything is functional and working like it's supposed to. You'd hate to get up into the air only to find that your landing gear doesn't work. It's much better to find that out when you're on the ground. So he began showing me around all this and how all the different parts worked and what everything was. We finally got into the airplane and got it started. 
Again, he began showing me all the different gauges and the computers and the GPS and how it all worked. I was having so much fun just learning about all of it. We started going down the runway, and and he was showing me how you steer an airplane while it's still on the ground. Now, you have that yoke that's there in front of you. That's what controls the airplane when you're up in the air. But he showed me that in his airplane, when you're on the ground, there's these pedals that are down at your feet. And that's actually what you use to steer the plane. If you want to go to the left, you push the pedal down to the left. You push the pedal down to the right if you want to go to the right. Well, he had his pedals on his side. I had mine on my side, so I could see what he was doing. And then he showed me the throttle that was there between us. He said, you just push it in if you want to go faster. You pull it out if you want to go slower. So I was learning about all of this, and he said, okay, it's your turn. I said, excuse me? He said, you take a turn at it. And so I began driving the airplane down the runway. The good news is I did keep it on the runway. We didn't veer off. We got down to the end of the runway, and he took back over control, and we turned the plane around, and he began showing me how he was going to take off. We took off, and we got up into the air, and he started showing me how I could see what the altitude was and how to look at our course on the GPS and plug that in to be able to find our way to the next airport. We got up there, and he started showing me how the yoke works and how you control the plane and go up and down and to the left and to the right. He said, okay, now it's your turn. Excuse me? I thought I was just coming along for a flight that day. I didn't know I was actually going to be flying the airplane. We got up there and he began showing me and we were taking turns to the right and to the left and we just had a good time flying all over the state. We finally got up close to Ponca City and he took back over control and brought us in for the landing. We had a great lunch there at the restaurant and enjoyed visiting about all of it. We got back in the plane and he took off. We had barely gotten off the ground and he said, all right, take us back up to our elevation and get us home. I didn't know I was supposed to be getting us home that day. Well, now by this point, I had learned how to do it all. I was looking at my GPS, and I was able to get us up to our elevation, and and we flew back home. Whenever we got back close, he took back over control and landed the plane for us. As I I was on my way home that day, that I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, if I had known going into this that I was going to be flying the airplane, that I was going to be responsible for getting us home, I don't think I would have slept the night before. I would have been so nervous about what was going to take place, the fact that I knew nothing about planes or how to fly them, I would have been a nervous wreck. But because I didn't have time to be nervous and I just did it in the moment, I just did things one thing at a time, one step at a time as he instructed me, we were able to have so much fun doing it. I thought about it and I thought, It's really what life is like so often. We don't always know where our dreams are going to take us. We don't always get to see the whole picture. We don't have all of the answers. But we can trust that God is going to be right there next to us, taking us by the hand and leading us through the journey of life one step at a time, giving us the instructions just one thing at a time. And if we're willing to follow along, I think we'll be amazed to see where God can lead us. You know, next year in 2019, we're going to be celebrating our 130th anniversary as St. Luke's family of faith. It's hard to believe. 130 years ago, April of 1889, the land run happened in Oklahoma. And it was pioneers who came. People who had a vision for a better future and a better life. People who were able to look across the frontier And despite the fact that there were no cities there, there were no homes there, 
there was no government in place yet, well, they were able to look at this and to see a new vision and possibilities for a new future. And they came out on the frontier to settle this new place. And it was in the midst of that, on that first Sunday after the land run, that these same pioneers came together and they raised a white flag and they sounded a bugle and they called people together for a worship service. And it was the beginning of St. Luke's. And I can promise you that 130 years ago, not a single person there that day would have dreamed what St. Luke's would become 130 years later. Nobody there that day would have dreamed that today we would be blessing more than 1,000 children every single day through our child care centers and our after-school programs like Elsa Stemma, Studio 222, and Rancho Village. They would have never dreamed that we would be sending mission teams around the world to start new churches in Ulyanovsk, Russia, and to go to Honduras and Alaska. They would have never dreamed of how many thousands of children and youth would come to learn the stories of our faith because of St. Luke's. They would have never dreamed how many hundreds of thousands of people have been blessed by the message of God's love because of what we are as a family of faith. Now, 130 years ago, they didn't have the full picture. They didn't get to have all of the answers. They just took the first step. They called people together for a worship service. And St. Luke's was born. For 130 years now, we've continued to live out that pioneer spirit, dreaming new dreams and asking those big questions, finding the ways to share God's love and bring hope. My prayer for all of us in 2019 is that as we begin a new year, that our hearts would be open to the gift of God's spirit, that our eyes would be opened to see the vision that God has for us, to dream new dreams, and that we would have the courage, the faith, the trust to follow God just one step at a time. And I believe that if we're willing to do that, that in 2019, it's going to be incredible to see how we share God's love and bring hope in this world. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers. Amen.